through this, I've been praying about what the Lord would have us preach about, and I hope you see that just like usual, we try to preach practical messages that are applicable to everyday life, but while always making Christ the centerpiece. He is the focus, He is the preeminent one. So even though we're talking about the coronavirus some and and some of these other details going on in our world, uh, we want to not make that the emphasis. We want to make God the emphasis, make Christ the emphasis, because He's the one that's going to get us through. And I told you this morning what I was going to preach about tonight, an interesting message, uh, how to use the coronavirus to improve your life. Think about that. How to use the coronavirus to improve your life. You say, preacher, there is no good in this thing. It is all bad. You know, God's got a real good track record of taking bad things and turning them into good. And it's a good practice in your life to always look for the silver lining to even when something bad something terrible some tragedy happens some unexpected thing for you to find ways to turn that to good and I promise you through the goodness of God the grace of God anything that happens in your life that's negative if you pray about it and you seek God he'll give you a way to turn that into something positive and so tonight we want to look at this idea and we're going to Look at a verse that's become very dear to me over the years uh, with my family situation, my wife's uh, health, and our family suffering. This verse has been uh, very dear to me over the years. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 10, the Word of God says, uh, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Uh, let's pray. Lord, thanks for the truth of this scripture. It's comforted my heart many times, and going through turmoil and struggle is no fun. Uh, it hurts. There's a sacrifice, and yet you have a way of bringing good out of that. And I pray tonight you'd Remind us of this verse, teach us its truth, and then help us to apply it to our lives uh, today, this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So how can we use the coronavirus to improve our lives? There's no doubt that this virus, this pandemic, is disrupting entire nations. And of course, nations are simply made up of people. So that means millions and millions, hundreds of millions of people are being disrupted by this. Think about our country alone, 340 million people, has totally changed the landscape of America. Who would have thought uh, even a few weeks ago that the entire economy of America basically would be shut down and that entire states would be given shelter-in-place orders? Uh, it's unthinkable. It was a month ago, and yet here we are. Uh, so there's no doubt that this virus, this pandemic, is disrupting entire nations and including our individual lives. People can't go to work. You worry about going to the grocery store. Uh, you worry about the finances to come. You worry about health and, and then the social things that come with that, not being able to see friends and family, uh, not being able to get to church like you want to. Uh, then uh, things canceled all over the place, important events canceled. Then staying home. Uh, some people are, are staying home alone and uh, they, they wish they could be around people because they're lonely. Other people are stuck in the house with people they wish they could get away from. And so uh, this is causing everybody just a, a lot of stress. Uh, but we can't control the situation, but we can control our response to it. 
And this is true in any situation in life. You can take the truths we're going to talk about tonight and apply them to any situation in your life that is negative. Now, negative situations come. We live in a world that is cursed with sin. But this verse, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, is a great verse dealing with suffering. It teaches us how to suffer and then the benefits of suffering and how we can turn any suffering and how God turns suffering into a good. No one wants to suffer. Would you agree with that? No one woke up this morning and said, I want to suffer. I want to be in pain. I want to be afraid. I want to be filled with doubt and fear. No one says those things. Everybody wishes for success and prosperity. And yet, uh, if you've been alive very long at all, you know that good and bad happens to every living soul. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, Jesus said that you may be the father, excuse me, that you may be the children of your father, which is in heaven, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. You know, good and bad happens to every living person. People often say, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Well, you need to look at the other side of that. Why does God allow good things to happen to bad people? The answer is there are certain things in this life that are going to happen to everybody. When it rains and you've got a saved and an unsaved person sitting next to each other, they both get wet. Uh, When the sun comes up in the morning, it hits everybody. When it goes down at night, it's dark on everybody. So there are certain things in this life that just happen to every living soul. In fact, Christians are called to godly suffering. We We will suffer, and God expects us to suffer in a godly way. Consider 1 Peter chapter 2. You can look at that verse with me. 1 Peter chapter 2. And 1 Peter deals with suffering quite a bit. 1 Peter chapter 2, if you look at verse 20. 1 Peter 2, 20, For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted or punished for your faults ye take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. So wait a minute. God says, it's no big thing if you did wrong, and you get punished for it, and you take that. But it's a whole different matter if you're doing the right thing, and you begin to suffer. You still need to handle that well. You know, there's a part of us that just rejects this idea of, I didn't do anything wrong. I don't deserve this. Have you ever said that to yourself? I don't deserve this. I've tried to do right. But God tells us there's going to be times when you've done nothing wrong, when you've done the best you can, and you're going to suffer. And during those times, God expects us to suffer in a godly way. Look at verse 21. For even hereunto were ye called. Called to what? To suffer patiently to suffer in a godly manner. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us a what? An example that ye should follow in his steps. Who did no sin? Neither was guile found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye are healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd 
and bishop of your souls. See, Christ is always the example in the Christian life. And the ultimate goal of the Christian life is to be like Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. Jesus suffered when he did nothing wrong. Matter of fact, the entire uh, Christian life is based on sinless suffering. And the Bible also teaches us that the servant is not greater than the master. If the master suffered, then the servant will suffer. If the creator suffered, then the creation will suffer. If the Christ suffered, then the Christian will suffer. But we are expected and we are called to godly suffering. We're expected to suffer patiently like Jesus did. He's our example. How did he do that? He committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. So we commit ourselves unto God, living by faith, as we talked about this morning. So we can't control what's going on around us, but we can commit ourselves to God in the midst of it. See, everybody suffers. We will all suffer until we get to heaven. God made no promise that on this earth we would go without suffering. Matter of fact, he told us the opposite. You're going to suffer. He said, "Ye, if you choose to live godly in Christ Jesus, you'll suffer persecution. Suffering's all through the Bible. And so suffering's a way of life. But it's how we suffer. Are we going to suffer like Jesus? Or when we begin to suffer, what are the normal responses to suffering? Look at verse 22. Jesus, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. See, when we suffer, uh, we have guile in our mouth. That's the typical human response. We'll, we'll say anything to get out of trouble. I mean, people will say anything. They'll fill their mouths with, with flattery and, and all that. And then if that doesn't work, they will attack and call names and fill their mouth with all types of perversion. Verse 23, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. So someone makes fun of you, they scorn you, and man, you give it right back to them. Uh, Whenever we suffer, we tend to threaten people. It's like that dog that has a hurt paw, and he growls at anybody that comes close to him. He can't determine whether you're coming to help me or you're coming to hurt me. And we know that hurting people hurt people. And so when we're under pressure and we're suffering, it's easy to lash out. It's easy to fill our mouth with, with bad things. It's easy to revile and mock and scorn and call names. And threaten. Well, that's not how we're supposed to suffer. Jesus didn't do any of those things, but at the end of verse 23, he committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. See, a Christian understands we can't control the circumstance, but we can control our response. And as I give myself to Christ, as I commit myself to God, I am letting go of trying to control the situation. And now I'm focused on, God, how do I live through this? How do I respond in this? What do you want me to do? Does that make sense to you? And so suffering is a way of life. Uh, We don't decide whether or not we suffer, but we get to choose how we suffer. Uh, When we suffer in a godly fashion, it brings glory to God. When we suffer in a carnal way, it brings reproach to him. So how will you suffer during this virus? How will you suffer during the turmoil? How will you suffer when the 
when the bank account gets low? How will you suffer when the people you love start to get on your last nerve? How will you suffer when you get down to the last roll of toilet paper and there ain't none of them to be found? How will you suffer whenever uh, there's no NyQuil left and you can't figure it out, when there's no money left, when perhaps there's food on the shelves but there's not enough in the bank account? How will we suffer then? What if one of our family members gets sick? What if it enters into our home? What if a loved one goes to heaven? See, the circumstances don't change our response. We commit ourselves unto God. We live by faith. And we seek the Lord. Now, the verse that we're looking at tonight teaches us uh, about suffering. And I just want to break it down into its parts, learn a few of its truths, make a few applications, and then we'll <clears throat> go to the house. Some of you are already in your house. Uh, church in pajamas is a wonderful thing, probably eating some popcorn, having a little soda or iced tea there. Uh, matter of fact, what am I doing here? Why am I here? What? <laughs> no, we're, we're happy to be here. We're happy to continue having church. Amen. So we're going to break this verse down. Look at, back at 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10. But the God of all grace. Think about that phrase, the God of all grace. What does this mean? This means that God is the source of all grace. There's no grace in this world apart from Him. He's the source of it. And grace is the unmerited favor of God that empowers us to accomplish His will. Grace is a big word. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Mercy is God withholding what we do deserve. And so grace, the unmerited favor of God, the unearned love of God. You know, you can't do anything to earn God's love and you can't do anything to lose God's love. God doesn't love you because of what you do. God loves you because of who he is. That's grace. Uh, then grace also is the power of God to accomplish his will. If God asks you to do something, He will empower you to accomplish it. So the grace of God is a magnificent doctrine in the Bible. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. The Bible tells us God's grace is amazing. God's grace is abundant. He's not stingy with His grace. He gives it freely, and that's a good thing. So the God of all grace, when we come to suffering and we begin to suffer, we need to remember that our God is a God of all grace. He loves to give grace and he gives it generously. We talked this morning about a living by faith. One of those main points is to rely on, on the character of God. God is a good God. He's a generous God. He's a loving God. He's a merciful God. He's gracious and so whenever we begin to suffer, the first thing we need to do is turn to the God of all grace. Don't turn and look at him with disdain. Don't look at him in a, in, in a way that you want to prosecute him for what he's doing and question him for what he's allowing. No, turn to him as if you would turn to a doctor when you're sick. Turn to him as you would look to a baker when you're hungry. Turn to him as you would look to someone that has water when you're thirsty. He's there to help you. He's the God of all grace. But the God of all grace, you know, we're saved by grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. 
We're saved by grace, but also we're sustained by grace. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you. I like that. It's not just that God has grace. God is going to make grace abound toward you. God can point His grace at you and your life and your situation and make all of that abundant grace abound toward you. The verse goes on, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. See, we're saved by grace, and then daily we are sustained by grace. He's the God of all grace. John 15 reminds us that without Him, ye can do nothing. We're sustained by His grace. And thank God for that. Look at the next phrase in this verse. So we see, but the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. Hey, thank God for salvation. Thank God that through faith in Jesus Christ, we have been called to eternal glory. Without Christ, if you're listening tonight and you're not saved, there's never been a time in your life where you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you have eternal damnation as your future. You are condemned in the sight of Almighty God. There is but a heartbeat between you and eternal torment and eternal fire where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Oh, but if you're saved, it's a whole different story, isn't it? If we're saved, He's called us unto eternal glory by Christ Jesus. I'm glad that we get to look forward to heaven, aren't you? So we have the God of all grace who've called us. And then look what the next phrase says. After that ye have suffered a while. Notice it doesn't say if you suffer a while. After you suffer a while. Everybody's going to suffer. Saved or unsaved, you're going to suffer. You know, this health and wealth gospel that says, boy, if you trust Jesus, all your problems go away. That's not in the Bible. That's not in the Bible. God's promise is not to take your problems away. His promise is that He'll be with you through all of your problems. His promise is that you'll never be alone. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's pretty good news. After that ye have suffered a while, we will all suffer But the good news is, for the Christian, all suffering is temporary. Isn't that good? After ye have suffered a while. I don't know how long you're going to suffer. Some suffering is minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, years. Some suffering is a lifetime. You know, there's a difference between when I broke my arm a few years ago and took some time to heal. Matter of fact, every... Once in a while, still, when it rains, you know, it'll get a little creaky, get a little achy. You know how that happens? Probably never heals all the way. There's a difference between breaking something or spraining something or getting sick for a week or two and situations like my wife where I'm going on 13 years of suffering. It's different. People that lose limbs That'll never come back. It's different. People that lose a loved one. And I feel like half of them have just been ripped out of their life. They won't see him again until they get to heaven. But the truth is, from God's perspective, whether you suffer a day or a lifetime, 
all suffering is temporary. Because for the Christian, heaven's our home. And we get, when we get to heaven, all suffering is gone. Think about these verses, Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. See, we can't imagine a life where there's no tears, no death, no sorrow, no crying, no pain. But God says there's one coming for the Christian. See, all suffering is temporary. After that ye have suffered a while... And then the verse continues giving us four benefits of suffering. What does suffering accomplish in us? What does God use suffering to do in us? There's just four simple words that give us these four benefits. Look at the verse. After that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect. Make you perfect. The word perfect in this context doesn't mean sinless or without error. It means to complete thoroughly. It means to make you mature, to mature you, to grow you, to make you complete. And my friend, suffering does something in our lives that nothing else can do, and that is it makes you grow up. Makes you grow up makes you learn to put away certain things and you have to begin living life. You have to take responsibility. You have to begin adding things into your life. It makes you grow. Uh, the word can also mean to adjust or repair. And let me tell you something, suffering will adjust your course, will it not? If you're going the wrong way, suffering has the ability to turn the wheel and make you chart a different course. And the word also means to repair. How can suffering repair? How can tearing down build up? Well, Because when you begin to suffer, you can see the gaps and the holes in your life that if you allow God to fill, it betters your life. Let me make a statement that is so vital that you understand in your Christian life. God is willing to allow temporary suffering for eternal good. Always. Every time, every single time, God will allow you to suffer if it will bring you eternal good. Look at the cross. Jesus suffered for the good of everybody else. Sometimes you and I suffer. It's called vi vicarious or substitutionary suffering. Sometimes you and I suffer for other people. The parent suffers for the child. The husband suffers for the wife, the wife for the husband. The employer for the employee, the pastor for the people, the people for the pastor, the friend for the friend. We all suffer for other people in one shape or form. But God says, Paul Chapman, I am willing to allow you to hurt now if you can be better the rest of your life. And if you can do good to more people the rest of your life, God will very gladly allow us to suffer. Is that not what we do for our children? A children... Our children that need discipline, our children that need correction, 
do not we understand that a few minutes of discomfort can change the entire course of their lives? That putting them in a place where they suffer for a few minutes or a few hours, good night, nowadays all you got to do is threaten to take away their phone, and they're, they're like, they'd rather have 40 stripes from a Roman centurion than that. I mean, but that, that little bit of suffering, we understand that makes people reevaluate. It makes people rethink some things. It can change a course. It can mature us. And the God of heaven who allowed his own son to be beaten and stripped naked and nailed to a cross will certainly allow some difficult things in my life if it's going to make me more like him. Let me just tell you, some of you don't have that thing settled. And if you don't get that settled, every time God allows something bad in your life, you're going to raise your fist to God. Just like that child that gets punished and he stiffens his back and clenches his fist and he yells at his parents and you won't. Well, prisons are filled with people like that, aren't they? Because they never learn. But God is a good father, will chastise his children. And sometimes... Bad things don't happen because God's chastising us. Sometimes bad things just happen because we live in this old sinful world. But God's not the problem. He's the solution. Amen? He's the one we run to. See, suffering perfects us. Number two, the next word is establish. After you have suffered a while to make you perfect, establish What's the word establish mean? It means to set fast or to confirm. Literally, it means to turn resolutely in a certain direction. And suffering can turn our direction. We already mentioned that. It can change our course. It can make us reevaluate our priorities. You know, sometimes we have the, the most foolish expectations. And then when things start to suffer, those expectations change. I remember back before my wife got sick, I used to be so particular about my shirts being ironed just right. I mean, they had to be ironed just right. A little crease down the, right down the arm, nice and wrinkle-free all the way around, collar pressed just right. My wife got sick and wasn't able to do that anymore. Now you just need to be thankful I'm wearing a shirt. Things change. I used to be so particular about getting my hair cut. Cut my hair, you know, get it cut every so often. My wife one time when we first got married, she said, why don't you let, my, let me cut your hair? I said, no, sweetie, you don't want to do that. I said, if you ever messed up, we'd probably be in the marriage counselor's office if I had to go with like a big shave out of the side of my head or something. No, honey, we don't want to do that. And uh, I think we tried it once. And about halfway through, I'm like, no, let's, let's just stop. Our marriage is worth more than this haircut. And... Uh, you know, now for the last few years, I cut my own hair. I should have bought a Floby back in the day when those things were big, you know, where you could stick the, the hair clippers onto the, the vacuum and, you know, and just suck it up and cut it. I should have done that, but I'm in the mirror cutting my own hair. I've got one mirror this way, looking back in the mirror this way, in the back of my head. And, and after a while, I'm like, hey, that's good enough. So if you ever see me walk in church and you're walking behind me and it looks like something terrible happened to the back of my head, it probably did. But you know what? I'm just thankful I got hair. I'm just, I'm just thankful I'm here. And you see, suffering changes your priorities, doesn't it? There are so many things that used to be so different. 
And so many things we take for granted. But suffering establishes you. It sets fast. It confirms some things in your life. You reevaluate what's truly important. Number three, the next word is strengthen. So suffering perfects us, establishes us, strengthens us. The word strengthen here means to make stronger, to add strength or to make more able. It means you can bear more. You can help more people. You can trust God more. You can handle more stress because you've already been stressed. You can handle more of a burden because you've already been carrying a burden. Remember when I became the pastor here almost 16 years ago, I was 27 and people used to say, are you old enough to pastor a church? And I'd say, I don't know. But if I'm not, don't tell anybody. You know, and they would kind of get a chuckle. But the truth is, I wasn't probably the average 27-year-old. Because God took about 10 years and made me go through some fires in my life. Do you ever notice that you can have one 30-year-old that's very different than another 30-year-old? And usually that the difference is what they've gone through and how they've chosen to respond to it. See, if, if every time you get hurt or you suffer, you run away from it, you'd never grow up. That's why we've got 30, 40, 50, 60, even 70-year-olds that act like teenagers. They've just never grown up. They've never been perfected. But you've got 30-year-olds that have the maturity of a 70-year-old. Because they've been perfected, established, strengthened. Then the last word here is settle. Settle. You have to you have suffered a while, make you perfect, established, strengthened, settle you. Suffering settles us. The word settle means to fix or establish. It has the idea of laying a firm foundation. If you ever go to build a house, you don't just start throwing up wood. After you pick a piece of ground, you got to get that foundation built. The tallest buildings in the world have foundations that are almost as tall as the buildings themselves to hold all of that height and that weight. You've got to have the foundation, and suffering makes you pay attention to the foundation. See, Jesus gave the story of the wise man and the foolish man. The wise man hears what Jesus says and obeys. The foolish man hears what he says and does different. Jesus likened them to two men who both built houses. One man built, one man built his house on the sand. And the floods came, and the wind came, and the house fell down. You know what a smart man does after that? He goes and finds a rock. And the next time he builds his house, he builds it on a rock. There's no greater fool that keeps rebuilding the house on sand. But suffering will make you say, I don't want to do that again. I don't want to get in that position again. I'm not going to let myself go there again. How do I do that? I've got to reevaluate the foundations of my life. What is my life built on? What are the principles that I'm living on? And see, suffering makes you get rid of all the fluff. And suffering makes you 
not pay attention to all the ornaments and all the things, the, the accoutrement and all, all the things that maybe beautify a life. And it'll make you just get down and say, I need to know if I can weather this storm. And so it settles you. You know, those that suffer usually aren't blown around with every wind of doctrine. We know what we believe about God. Those that suffer don't have to be convinced about the need of walking with God because they know without Him they wouldn't survive. They that suffer don't need to be convinced of how important God's Word is in their life. They eat it like a hungry person eats a meal. They don't have to be begged to eat it. They eat it because they want to. They choose to. You see, suffering does so many good things in our lives. Nobody chooses the suffering. None of us say, God, I want to suffer. But only a fool suffers for no reason. And when you, you can waste your suffering, you can respond to suffering in such a way that stops all the good things God is trying to do. But when you choose to suffer in faith, when you choose to suffer with patience and godliness, committing yourself to God, then God is able to take something that's so terrible and so negative and turn it into something good. And you'll be like a lot of people under the sound of my voice. You'll look back at some of the worst times in your life and say, I wouldn't have chose it. But neither would I change what it did in my life. Because I'm a better man for it. I've got a better life because of that suffering. In light of all that, I believe that God can take this coronavirus and the situation we live in, and we can actually turn that for our own good. We can use it to benefit our lives, to help us. How can we do that? By perfecting, establish, strengthening, and settle you. Let me give you a couple pieces of advice. The coronavirus in this situation, it's going to challenge our faith. It's going to challenge our faith. Do you really trust God? How much do you trust God? And you know what? Some of us are going to find out that we're not trusting God as much as we thought we were. That our faith isn't as strong as we hoped it was. Do you know that for some people, this will be the first time in their entire lives that they get an opportunity every day to wake up and say, God, I trust you to get me through the day. You know, for most of us, you've never had to worry about going to the store and it not being stocked. For most of us, you've never had to worry about, I mean, we got hard workers in this church. Most of us never had to worry about not having a job. But now it's out of our control. Our faith's going to be tested. And yet we need to say, Lord, increase our faith. And Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So this coronavirus can actually help strengthen our faith. You know, the, the coronavirus can make us more grateful. So many things we take for granted. Being able to get up and go to work. How many times we complain about going to work and now you wish you could? How many times we complain about going to the store, have to get groceries, and now you wish you could just go there and everything would be there? How many times kids complain about going to school, and now they, 
They're sad they can't see their friends. You know, we can all be more grateful, can't we? Uh, so many things that we take for granted until they're taken away from us. Let's just choose to be more grateful people, not more cynical, not more negative like most will be. Let's choose gratitude. Be thankful for every little thing someone does to you. Notice the little gifts of God. And then the coronavirus can help us revalue things. You know, some people place an incredible amount of value on things that don't amount to a hill of beans. Even as Christians, sometimes we get more materialistic than we can imagine. I got to have this thing. I got to be able to go there. I need to be able to do that. I need this toy, this trinket. If I don't have this tool in my life, I can't live. I can't survive. If I don't get to, you know, the truth is, the things that really matter, your relationship with God, your relationship with your wife, with your children, the people you love, life itself. I mean, good night. When's the last time you just walked outside in the morning and let the sun hit your face and take a big, deep breath of air and say, God, thank you for life. So many things that we undervalue. What about church? The value of church. Many people today would love to go to church, but they can't. Maybe we shouldn't complain about going so much. Maybe we should be thankful we get to go. Be thankful we get to go soul winning. Be thankful we get to be involved in outreach. Now we can't for a while. And see, this suffering helps us reevaluate some things and reorganize some priorities in our lives. I, I think about church. How can a church better itself? Uh, a church can get more creative. Sometimes churches get into ruts and just doing the same old thing year after year. And our church tries to do this every, many times a year with different spring programs and special days. We try to mix things up and have the same foundation and the same biblical principles, but yet uh, provide some, some excitement and some, some new things. But man, churches need to get creative. Some churches are in a rut, and this could really be used to say, hey, we need to start a live stream. We need to, to write some tracks. We need to get some digital outreach. We need to be more creative about how to connect with people and reach people. Uh, once we can, we're going to get back out in the community. We haven't done that like we ought to. Uh, this could really change some churches. Uh, churches, even like ours, really reevaluating the budget. What money do we have to spend versus what money... Uh, can we save? You know, I was talking to my father-in-law this afternoon. He was a pastor for many years. He said, you know, it's something that I've never understood. But for most Christians, when they miss church, the tithe never comes back with them. And you know, that's true. A lot of people miss church on vacation. They don't send their tithe. They miss church because they're sick. That tithe's not coming back. And there's a lot of churches that are concerned about, uh, you know, weeks Without services, uh, that's a big deal. Uh, it would be a, it'd be a nice thing if, if the Christians could say, you know, that's not going to be me. I'm going to make sure I send my tithe to the Lord whether I'm there physically or not. You can do that by mailing, online giving, all those types of things. But churches have to understand that this, this could be a challenge. We might need to reevaluate some things. Uh, what's truly important? Uh, being creative, getting out the gospel, projects around the building, reevaluate the church calendar. Our church calendar has basically been wiped clean for weeks. 
So reevaluating what's on the calendar that needs to be there, what's, what's on the calendar that, that ought to be taken off for now, and, and the next few months going forward and even after this, uh, just churches getting back to the basics of, of uh, soul winning and baptizing and discipling and, and worshiping and all of those things, just getting back to the basics. This could be good for churches in the long run if we allow it. And then lastly, what about a personal life? How could your life be better through the coronavirus? You know, one thing you could do is finally get some rest. Some of us live so exhausted running from thing to thing. You know what? Just maybe sleep a little. Take a nap. Take some time. Be amazed at how that might help us. Uh, what about spending extra time with family? You know, many of us complain we don't get to spend the time with family that we want. Well, now's a perfect time to. You pretty much have to. So don't just do it begrudgingly. Don't do it where everybody's got a screen and they're all in their corner of the room doing all their different stuff. How about doing some things together? Break out the old board games. Bring out, God forbid, a puzzle, you know, or something that requires a little bit of speech back and forth and, and perhaps a little bit of a mental workout. And you, you might be surprised what would, what would happen if you got some chips and dip out in a board game or, or some carrots and celery and some hummus or whatever and just sit down had a, good, had a good snack, spend a little time together, laugh a little. This could really help our, our lives. And not just for this, but reevaluating time with family. You know, some people are just way too busy. And maybe this is a good chance to push the reset button and reevaluate our schedules going forward and say, hey, you know, what am I really accomplishing? What time needs to be given to God? What time needs to be given to my family? What time do I need to take for a little bit of personal time? You know, you'll be a better person if you get a little rest, read a book, do something you enjoy once a week, have a little mini vacation, even if it's just for 15 minutes or an hour or something each week, just kind of checking out, doing something you enjoy. You'll be a better person. Some, of you, some people are so high strung, man, if, if, if the next little thing that happens, they break and three people around them are going to die just from the fallout. They have a nervous breakdown. This gives us a chance to reevaluate some things, doesn't it? And we're forced to. What about spending extra time with God? You've always said you wish you had more time for the Bible. What are you going to do now that you got it? You've always said you, had, you wish you had more time to pray. No excuse. Another thing we could do is look over the budget, trim the fat. You know, probably many of us have subscriptions that we don't really use we could, we could get rid of. You might have a service or pay, be paying some bill that's really unnecessary and not adding any value to your life. Now might be the time to cut that stuff out. See, rather than just complain about the possible loss of money, why don't we look at the money God's given us and really... In a matter of prayer, look at your budget, write down every expense, every commitment, and say, God, what do you want me to do with this? The average Christian takes every penny of disposable income and gives it away before their check even comes in the mail or they get it at work. And let's reevaluate that. Let's get back to saving a little, putting a little bit in the bank. 
Depend upon God in every situation. Plan your meals. Inventory your cupboards and your freezers. Many of us probably have food that we forgot was even in there. You got a little time? Pull it out. Inventory it. Plan your meals out. Say, you know what? This can of pork and beans is sitting back here since Moses led the people out of Egypt. And we're just going to eat that thing. Canned food doesn't really go bad. So, right? So just... If you break it open and stuff starts crawling out of it, then throw it away. Otherwise, it's okay, you know. Uh, spam never goes bad. It's, it's like it's made of rubber. It's like it's not even organic, so it's, it's, it never goes bad. It's like a salt-cured tire, it's, but it's, it's good. Plan your meals. Depending upon God in every situation, I end with this. For some of us, this is the first time in an awful long time that we have a genuine opportunity to trust God. Let's go to bed tonight and say, God, I don't know what the future comes, but I trust you. Wake up in the morning, Lord, I don't know what the future is bringing, but I trust you. And every day, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how much fear is swirling, trust God. Live by faith. And if we do these things, I promise you, we'll look back at the end of this situation whenever it's over and we'll say, God did some good things in me. And I'm a little bit more like Jesus than I was. Isn't that good news? Let's pray. Father, thanks for the chance to gather. We pray that you would help us. Nobody likes suffering. We all want to push away from it, run from it. But Lord, there are some things we can't run from. And we're either going to suffer with patience and faith or we're going to suffer in a carnal manner. Lord, help us to bring you glory through this. I pray you'd make us a little bit more like Jesus because of the message this evening. And as we go through this, to whatever extent we suffer, maybe we won't suffer much at all. Or maybe the suffering will be painful and the sacrifice deep. But either way, you're a good God. You give us far more than we deserve. All suffering is temporary for the Christian. You are the God of all grace. We have heaven to look forward to. And if we commit ourselves unto you. You can make us better through suffering. As the silver is purified by the fire. As the gold is purified. Help us to come forth as valuable gold. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.